what's kicking around word-wise in your awareness, if anything? Well, for a variety of reasons, the word heart. Ah, yeah, that's certainly fundamental. Yeah. I think that it qualifies as a COVID word because the heart is so important in being able to navigate times like these. Yeah. And of course, people, some people are losing hearts. Some people are taking hearts. Some people are, are being courageous, which is very much a heart sort of thing. Yeah, the word, I mean, when you just use the word heart, you talk about heart almost in any context. There's something, the, the word itself has a very visceral impact. Whether, whether it's from a peppy song, like you got to have heart, miles and miles and miles of heart, or whether you're talking about my relative had a heart attack. And the, the word is potent because of all that it, it comes with it when you use it. I say all that comes with it for each of us, it's a different construct field. But it's, a, it's a word that seems to close its meaningful hand around the whole construct field and makes it more important. Uh-huh. The heart of the matter. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were talking on a different angle one time about the visceral quality of the word fatigue. Mm. You know, it, it's so, so representative of that lack of energy and tiredness. In this case, the heart does the same thing, except it's even more profound because it sort of sounds like the central life force. Uh-huh. And as you say, to lose heart is a terrible, terrible situation. To take heart, on the other hand, is, is a very strong thing to do. Amen. As you said, of course, people showing courage, people showing heart, is a perspective that turns the great profound energy of it in a positive direction, moving out as opposed to contracting in. Yeah. So that, you know, it's very interesting. I didn't think of this at all um, before we started talking, but um, there's a quotation. Yeah, this is, it's off, this, this quotation or this, this little section of the 14th chapter of John is read oftentimes at funeral services. And it goes like this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So, and it's interesting that, that, that it's such a meaningful piece of text that if you remember in the Lord of the Rings, when the, the tired travelers get to Galadriel's kingdom, uh-huh. um, she welcomes them and she said, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh-huh. So they, I'm sure, consciously drew upon that, the power of that statement. But it's always been very meaningful to me as a, in, in its kind of translated spiritual sense, which is to say the spiritual kingdom is a place with many mansions. And if it, ha- if it wasn't so, I would have told you. <laughs> the teacher saying, look. Yeah. That, that the faith in that dimension of life, it, it comes even, you, you believe in God. Okay, you already, you've already got this. You know, you believe in God. Uh-huh. Therefore, you, you, you already know what I'm talking about. Yeah, let not your heart be troubled. Is, is it comes along with the idea of, even as you ask, the answer is, is arrived. The answer is already arrived. Let not your heart be troubled because the answer is before you. Uh-huh. The divine that of which you, which you seek or the, the transcendent answer is present, even in many forms. My father's house has many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Yeah, that's a, that's a very deeply comforting statement. Let not your hearts be troubled. So when we talk about taking heart, to me, taking heart, that kind of statement of understanding that, that the ever-present support or ever-present resources mm-hmm. of divine truth 
that's where you can take heart, even in the most um, difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so taking heart is something that can happen when you see some result where it, it looks like things can be hopeful. And also taking heart can be when things don't look so good by looking to the source of life, looking to the divine truth of beingness, which is omnipresent, you know, as, mm-hmm. you, said, as you said a minute ago. And then you can take heart because if, once, you, once you've corrected your perception to be able to perceive that. Yeah, yeah, that's taking heart. And more of what you had as a hope in the beginning makes itself known to you when you take heart, it's like you increase your courage and your, or your confidence. And even if it were at a point of literally near desperation, when you talk about the conditions are helpful, so I'll take heart. Conditions are completely lousy, com- completely disastrous. I can take heart. There's something in us that does that. Yeah. And that's the nature of courage. Courage is being brave when it doesn't look like there's gonna, anything's going to come from being brave. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sort of rising up in the middle of a hopeless situation, almost as though you're saying the situation looks hopeless, and that literally feeds my strength in taking heart. Like the story of the uh, the captain or whoever it was in Vietnam with all with his uh, his small set of troops there, and he he has them all in a conference, and he's saying, "Look, you're in a situation now where where you are completely surrounded, and we have to make sure that not a single one of them gets away." <laughs> exactly, exactly, heart, and uh, of course, there's a whole gamut of things that have to do with romanticism and such, but I think the focus we're taking here is something that's so valuable and so necessary for the time we're in, for the ecological context that we're we're in now. I was reading this article today regarding a woman who's done research for the last 13 or 14 years in social platforms and uh, the disinformation and or misinformation is transmitted through them. And you're talking about the path going forward because there's, there's so much slanted to the side of of social platforms not wanting us to be really critical thinkers when we look at them. Right. For them, the business, their business is better if we react to, say, postings on social media and fly back with something that, you know, may, co- may correspond with our slightly held biases and therefore empowering those biases more by feeding back into them. She wrote, she talked about the algorithms that media platforms can use to, based on your initial reaction, guide you to places that will draw your reactions even further based on what's already in your construct field. And unless we can learn to, and this is a point of courage, when we see something that we react to in media or the internet, the social platform, to stop and ask ourselves, what here is not being said? What's missing? What part of this context might be going on that I don't know about? and thinking critically about uh, the position we take before we respond. Of course, to do that, that's not good for the, not good for the platform's business model. Right. Like, you know, critical thinking does in what they're after. But the act of stopping, the act of digging in the heels in, in the moment of wanting to react a certain kind of way and patiently ask hard questions about context and about how I feel about this and that sort of thing, it's an act of great courage. It's an act of heart. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so the, one of the elements of heart we're looking at here is the taking dominion of ourselves in a conscious way so that we can give the best of ourselves in a response to something and not just perpetuate a bias that we may recognize that we have. Yeah, I guess there's 
there's always being creative and uh, and courageous in a time like this. Yeah. Certainly every person who can pause before they post that clever, very clever tweet or mm -hmm. statement on Facebook or whatever it is, absolutely is engaging in a courageous act that helps to clear some of the noise out of our world. Yeah. And it's so full of noise, you know, that um, it's, it's, and I think one of the things that we were talking earlier on about the idea of, of losing heart or of having to fight against feeling overwhelmed, there is, has a lot to do with there being so much noise yes. that there be, there, there's no quiet moment in the, in our, in our informational context that we live in these days. Every second of every hour, minute, every hour of every day of every week, 24-7, ongoing, has to be maximized for dispensing information, certainly in the world of media. You know, there's no, no rest for the wicked there. Every second has to be, has to have content. When we were talking with our group this morning and Bridget was talking about visiting her friend sleeping on the, on the bed on the balcony in a place where there were, there were no lights, it was a purely dark sky above. I can, I can just almost took my breath away to hear her to describe oh, yeah. lying in the bed, looking up, no sounds, no noise, no radio, no phones ringing, and simply the true dark night and stars. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing quite like a sky full of stars. Yeah. It's sort of like the heart of our universe is somehow makes me think of that. Yeah, it's laid out right there for you, you know? Here it right. is. It's right here. <laughs> Uncolored, unspun, not fitting into any category or any kind of bias we had coming in, but simply just what it is, which is a, just a powerful vision. It's the, the essence of bigness. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. It's just so big. And when you connect to it and understand that, you, that there is a connection that you have with it, then you realize that you yourself, you are very big and not the little ego guy struggling to do this and that. Exactly. Let me think of something while it's going on my notes. They were interviewing people on NPR. This is some years back now. And they were interviewing a man named J. Frank Doby. He was raised on a Texas cat ranch reading books his mother ordered by mail. He taught English at the University of Texas for 30 years and was a teacher in American history at Cambridge. He enjoys collecting tall tales from his fellow Texans. And when he was interviewed, this was actually in June 2005, he is no longer with us. He wrote in an essay, first quoting Chief Eagle of the Pawnees, saying, My mind is big when I look at you and talk to you. Chief Eagle of the Pawnees said to George Bird Grinnell, when after years of absence that noble writer appeared at his friend's teepee, It is very difficult in drawing up a credo to be severely honest about oneself to avoid all traditional cant. We actually believe in what we value most. Outside the realms of carnality and property, which men appearing in public generally pretend not to notice, I believe in and draw nourishment from whatever makes me feel big. I believe in a supreme power, a noble and impersonal, whose handiwork the soul-enlarging firmament declares. However, I believe in questionings, doubtings, searchings, skepticism, and I discredit credulity or blind faith. Progress of man is based on disbelief of the commonly accepted. The noblest minds and natures in human history have thought and sung, lived and died, trying to budge the status quo toward a larger and fuller status. 
I am sustained by a belief in evolution, the increasing purpose of life in which the rational is, with geological slowness, evolving out of the irrational. To believe that goodness and wisdom and righteousness in the Garden of Eden perfection lie somewhere far ahead instead of farther and farther behind gives me hope and somewhat explains existence. This is a long view. I do not pretend that it is a view always present in me. It does raise me when I have it, however. I feel no resentment so strongly as that against forces which make men and women afraid to speak out forthrightly. The noble satisfaction I have is in witnessing the upmovement of suppressed individuals and people. I make no pretense to having rid myself of all prejudices, but at times when I have discovered myself freed from certain prejudices, I have felt rare exhilaration. For me, the beautiful resides in the physical, but it is spiritual. I have never heard a sermon as spiritual in either phrase nor fact as waters on a starry night are beautiful and free. No hymn lifts my heart higher than the morning call of the Bob White or the long fluting cry of sand cranes out of the sky at dusk. I have never smelled incense in a church as refining to the spirit as a spring breeze laden with the aroma of a field of bluebonnets. Not all hard truths are beautiful, but beauty is truth. It incorporates love and is incorporated by love. It is the goal of all great art. Its presence everywhere makes it free to all. It is not so abstract as justice, but beauty and intellectual freedom and justice, all incorporating truth and goodness, are constant sustainers to my mind and spirit. Amen. Yeah. Heart is a way of talking about your bigness. Not in an ego sense of the word, certainly, but the inherent bigness that we all are. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. 